0: Welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, today was day 10 of the MLS's back tournament. We've come a long way.
1: (laughs) Double digits. We made it.
0: (laughs) So today it feels it feels right that day ten was a triple game day. We had instead of the early morning kickoff, we had two games kicking off at eight PM Eastern time, and that's because of some of the scheduling things that had arisen because of COVID nineteen. But in that eight o'clock time slot we had SKC and the Colorado Rapids with Sporting Kansas City winning that really strange game three to two. We had DC United taking on the New England Revolution in that one-one draw. And then the night game and the late night game I should say, Minnesota United and RSL playing to a nil-nil draw.
1: So let's start with the one that did have goals (laughs) and like events in it. I mean, not that D.C. and New England didn't have goals, but uh, let's go to that Wild Wild West game.
0: Let's do. So with these two games that we split off and you watched yours and I watched mine, listeners likely did the same thing. either picked one or the other because it's difficult to watch both games, at least in any detail at the same time. So I think it's important for these games for us to go through and actually sort of briefly at least detail how the teams are playing and how they set up. Okay. So Sporting Kansas City gave us what you expect from Peter Vermees, largely playing out of that flexible 4-3-3 in possession and then defending in that similar shape as well, although it's fluid with sometimes the midfielders pressing forward and the, the wingers dropping back a little bit. So that's SKC. Colorado gave us a few different wrinkles, and I want to focus in detail on one of those wrinkles in just a second. But It was a 4-3-3 in possession instead of that 4-2-3-1 with Eunice Namli on the right wing. It was three central midfielders, Jack Price, Kellen Acosta, Cole Bassett in midfield. Then Namli on one side, Diego Rubio and and Shinoshiki rounding out the rest of that front three for the Rapids. Defensively, and this is what I want to stick to in this game, it was a back five for the Colorado Rapids, at least at times, with Jack Price in between Abubakar and Wilson. I was not expecting that.
1: How, so what did the players in front of them do? With Price drops back into the back line, then it becomes two in the midfield?
0: It becomes two in the midfield or, or a narrow four, right? A, a narrow line of four, four, depending on okay. how much time they have to get back and set up into that defensive shape. But the reason, Jordan, I, the reason I think we saw this adjustment from Robin Fraser is two words. Alan Pulido. Mm. Jack Price's responsibility as that sort of pseudo central center back was to look after Alan Polito regardless of where he went. Sometimes they would trade off and Price would pass him off to another defender or a midfielder, but so often it was Jack Price's job, especially in the first half before Jack Price gets sent off with a red card in the second half, it was Price's job to track Polito and make sure he didn't get touches in dangerous areas. And in the first half especially, it worked. I think it was a really smart move by Robin Fraser.
1: Well, it makes sense to me because I've talked about personally talked about polito and how he is not your prototypical number nine right and he has the ability to float in between the lines so if jack price comes into the back line to hold up to basically man mark polito is what you're kind of saying then when polito checks off the back line and tries to get the ball in that red zone in between the lines price just follows him and it doesn't take away from the structure of the back line
0: it was a really wise move, I think, to get Polito off of his game a little bit. But then SKC turned the tables in the second half. Colorado had gone up one to nothing off of a Kellen Acosta goal in the first half, but in the second half, SKC start to turn the tables a little bit, exploiting that defensive adjustment from Robin Fraser. So think about this, visualize it in your head. You've got the back five for the Rapids. Price is on Polito in this moment, and it was in the 58th minute, Polito moves out. He moves back into midfield to draw Price with him. Kyrie uh-huh. Shelton out on the right wing makes a hard outside-in run into that space in between now between the two center backs left. There used to be another player in there, so there's a sizable gap, right? Kyrie Shelton makes that run, and he gets tackled from Danny Wilson, draws a red card. That puts the Rapids down to 10 men. A few minutes later in the second half, SKC get one goal. Then they get another one a little bit later with some help from VAR. Then it's 2-1. We get another red card, and it sort of just all goes downhill from there and ends 3-2 in in a really insane end of this game.
1: Right. That's interesting that you say that Polito's movement there draws such a big gap between the two center backs because if you don't have that change in structure, that gap between the two center backs probably isn't that big, right? And then, and then they're closer together and that run, no matter what Polito does with his movement, that run is harder to make splitting the, line there between the two center backs. So uh, that's a really good point about just how that space was occupied by Price. And then when he didn't occupy it, maybe the two center backs didn't fill the gap quick enough.
0: I just thought it was interesting that this adjustment from Fraser really did impact the game overall. It helped the Rapids in the first half, hurt them in the second half as SKC adjusted. And that ultimately did lead to all the rest of the the cards and the Rapids ending up at nine men and all sort of happened after that one play drawing the red card on Wilson with Kyrie Shelton's run into that space.
1: So that's my rough analysis of this game. All right. On to the next. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to the next one. Um, I took the DC United New England Revolution game and that game ended in a 1-1 draw. Uh, both teams setting up in a 4-2-3-1. And this really made me think because, uh, we know DC under Ben Olsen is a, a a gritty team, I think we can say, right? Uh, they can possess going forward and they can do that, but I think they're a little bit more comfortable without the ball and Jordan, being I just a defensive
0: want, team. I just want to say, sorry to interrupt. I think gritty is the word that people in the media or who write or podcast use when there's nothing else to say.
1: Yeah, I just don't know. Honestly, this game really... I was just watching it and usually I have like a half a page of notes by I don't know the halftime. And I didn't know what to write. Because it seemed to me both of these teams and you know, I think the easy out here with New England is just to talk about the relationship between Carl Skiel and Gustavo Beau because those two are are brilliant. They really are. But I started to think about both of these teams and if you look at the way Teams line up in MLS if you're in a 4 2 3 1. It really a lot of the time depends on like who those two holding midfielders are as to what your team can do going forward. And this game was pretty lackluster in a lot of ways. It did end up one to one, and I'll go over the goals in in a second. But Joe, when I was watching the game, this is how I analyzed it. I wanted to know more like what we think these holding mids need to be in order for their teams to be successful in a 4231 so i wanted to pose you with that question
0: so what attributes do those two players need in that double pivot for their team to succeed
1: yeah and it can be with any team but like do are there universal attributes that can help those players be successful and then therefore their teams be successful
0: Besides the basic technical capabilities that you want, at least as a baseline for all of your players in that lineup, I like the idea of, in that double pivot, of having one guy who's more aggressive, maybe a little bit more dribbly, and likes to go forward and have that other player come and cover him. Take the crew as an example. We just talked about them. You've got Darlington Nagby and Artur. The way they complement each other, with Nagby sometimes being the one who's press resistant and strides forward, and Artur coming in behind, and sometimes it's Artur who charges forward and it's Nagby who's back deeper that relationship where it's not even necessarily one guy doing one thing all the time and the other guy doing the other thing, right. it can be more flexible and fluid. I think that ability to to know that partnership and to know your partner in the double pivot is hugely important because that can impact your team's defensive solidity and how dangerous you are in the attack with maybe someone charging forward out of that pivot.
1: Yeah. And those are some of the characteristics that I think are important for that role as well. And so I'm watching uh, Carl Steele and Gustavo Gustavo Bow do their thing, right? And have a lot of the time just these crazy possessions. And then I'm like, well, where does that typically start with? It's not just starting with them. And I was starting to notice that Kellen Rowe was really the instigator to a lot of these buildups that were starting to happen when it came to the New England Revolution. And so that's what kind of triggered me. Well, what who is Kellen Rowe in this lineup? Like, because he kind of is and can be this flexible midfielder, and in this formation he's sitting more in that six position. But I think it's not fair to categorize these players just as sixes. Hmm.
0: It's often more nuanced than that, and there is more yeah. fluidity in possession, especially in a four two three one. We can see it in a lot of different shapes and, and formations. Aren't the end all be all of of how a team plays with the ball, but a four two three one on paper is naturally situated to allow for a lot of interesting attacking combinations and rotations and late arriving runs and and covering and stepping. It, it really does lend itself to that with the double pivot.
1: Exactly. So uh, with that being said, the goal here for D.C. happened in the second. It was the first goal of the game. It happened in the second half. And it all came off of uh, just an opportunistic play by Adam Buxa, who I think is a really good pickup for the New England Revolution when you have creative players that I just mentioned to have a strong target forward who's also mobile, um, maybe not as mobile and and as of quality as Polito, who we talked about, but think of those same similar movements where you can play traditional number nine, but can float into the pocket and pick up the ball as well and connect. But this came off of just Christian Pania doing a dribble run down the left side into the box. Ball gets deflected off of, um, hard to tell. Maybe a shot cross there. (laughs) And it goes, yeah, it goes straight up in the air and Buxa wins it first, placing it in the back of the net. So one to nothing there for DC and then, or excuse me, New England. And then this is my issue with this game is it just seemed like lackluster. There wasn't a sense of urgency from either team. And especially for New England, I had already said, like, D.C.'s kind of a team that's gritty. They are OK with not having the ball. And if you're in New England, why wouldn't you just keep going? And I, I would rather live on a one nothing score trying to continue to play than to sit back and like, have no urgency trying to go forward, right? Yeah. And so b- neither team were really trying to, it seemed like, break down the other attack. And of course, super sub Federico Iguain comes in. De La Maya with a sloppy back plat- pass to Turner and the pace on it was so slow. And Iguain came in and, and he doesn't just score that goal, Joe, because he's Iguaine. He scores that goal because he came in and he was lively. Yeah. Even before that, he was lively. He was getting the ball and he was getting it, connecting it, moving, getting it, connecting it, moving. And so he started to set the pace and increase the tone at which DC was playing. And you almost felt like DC was going to take over the game like they did in the last game that they played, right? Late on. And so it was really interesting for me to see just not only is Iguain a player that can change the game scoreline, line. But he can change the heartbeat of a team. And that's what I took away from it.
0: Iguain, I think, has saved DC United four points already. I mean, he had that chip goal against Toronto FC that sort of kickstarted that comeback. And then he scores the the equalizer in this game as well. What a pickup for DC. One of my favorite moves from one team to another within MLS or even outside of MLS that has affected this season in this tournament so far.
1: Um, Okay, well, I feel like that's enough from that game. Uh, (laughs) I think everybody wants to move on from that one. And, And honestly, I was excited because of DC's turnaround at the, you know, they did have a short turnaround from last game to this game. I think it was only really four days, which is one of the shortest turnarounds from any of the teams and that was an emotional win so mm-hmm. you have to take all that into account as to like how difficult it was to come back and play and I was I was excited to watch New England play because I thought that it, this would be a little bit more lively of a game but um, we move on
0: we move on on to a no-nil draw between Minnesota United and Real Salt Lake Jordan I've got a couple takeaways from this one one from each team what do you have on this game
1: Coming from the Western Conference before I I took this job here this year, I, we played, you know, I got to watch a lot of RSL and I always, I never really understood what Albert Rusnak does so well, but he's always in the right place at the right time. Hmm. And that's not just because he's there. That's because he, he feels the game. And so... I started this game off just trying to I I was watching the game and then he did something. I think he popped out on the left wing all the way on the touchline. And then he picked the ball up as like a holding mid in the back line. And when the center back split apart and I was like, what the heck is he doing? Like, honestly, what is he doing? And so I was just going to watch him. And then unfortunately, he went down with that injury. So my plan of action with him didn't really pan out. So um, I have some thoughts, too, about RSL that I'll get to. But why don't you go next, since I just kind of gave my little rust snack tidbit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah, let me do my takeaways. And then if you have anything to add on them, absolutely okay. go for it. So first, let's start with Minnesota United, just because okay. we started with RSL there. Minnesota United has attacking talent. Yes. We saw this in their game against Sporting Kansas City with Molino really being an impact playmaker as that attacking midfielder at the top of a 4-4-2 defensively or 4-2-3-1 offensively. We saw Molino again in a relatively dreary first half. It was Molino who was one of the most dangerous players with the ball for Minnesota United.
1: The thing that I really like about him is I think people think immediately like him on the dribble. But when he's receiving a ball, I was watching his body positioning. And sometimes he'll just turn his body at the right time to anticipate where a defender is going to come and meet him, either trying to defend the ball or um trying to pick the ball off. And it's just it's really intelligent. And that was something that I hadn't watched before. Just his shielding of the ball upon receiving receiving it.
0: And he used that shielding to draw fouls in this game. Yeah. He drew several fouls from RSL in that first half before he ends up coming out. Adrian Heath pulls him out and at halftime, likely to, to continue to make sure that he's healthy for the future and for the rest of this tournament. But Molino is, is one guy who continues to impress me in this tournament and will be someone that I have my eyes on going forward. Another guy from Minnesota United, Tomas Chasson. He looks lively. He was out of control in a lot of this game, like a little <laughs> bit too energetic and buzzing around a little bit too quickly but he is fast. 19 years old, really small guy. His legs move faster than someone who is his size or really anyone should be able to move their legs. He's like a hummingbird with how he moves all around the
1: field. Yeah, that's a really good comparison, actually. (laughs) I like that. He's an interesting player, right? Because he came in last year and with a little bit of expectation that he would fit in a little bit quicker and find some playing time. And this could be an opportunity for him with just the quick turnarounds to find some more time. And he fits with that quickness. He fits what Minnesota wants to do because they had a lot of possession and Minnesota doesn't look comfortable in possession. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they, they look like they lack ideas when they have a lot of possession of the ball. So if you're going to play this counterattack style of offense, it, players like him could be really useful.
0: So that's my that's my Minnesota United takeaway, my RSL takeaway, uh-huh. is that when, when Freddy Juarez's team high presses, I think they can be dangerous. We yeah. saw bits of this against Colorado, and I, I chalked it up then, and I still do to the fact that the Rapids were so sloppy with the ball. Minnesota wasn't as sloppy with the ball as Colorado was. So this was a little bit more of a test, even though Minnesota and Adrian Heath don't actually want possession like you just talked about. But when RSL get forward off of goal kicks or whatever the situation is, and they get that front six, especially Corey Baird and and Martinez and Everton out of central midfield, if those guys step forward aggressively towards the ball, they can cause problems and be legitimately hard to play through.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it it helps them win the ball back in good places on the field. And they are a team who can be really dangerous when they do have a lot of the possession. Right. And that kind of goes into a couple of my points. And um, one of my points is I think Glad is really good on the ball. And what I like about him as a center back is he gets the ball and he splits. He doesn't always choose the obvious pass. His patience on the ball allows the midfield to open up a little bit more so then he can play the ball into the front runners and the front runners in this game are martinez and crylock and What's interesting about those two is they play so close together a lot of the time, so close together that one's almost just dropping off to become like a little bounce pass for the other. So when Glad has the ball, he can ping it into Martinez and Krylak is just right underneath him. And they've created their own little overload in that section of the field. Um So I really liked Glad's passing. Um I thought that was a positive point for RSL, and then I talk about Rusnak and how he's so fluid off the ball. But I was starting to see that from Crylock as well. Uh, there are a couple times in the second half where the ball is wide for RSL. They're starting to attack down the left side, and they have numbers already already over there with their their outside back and Corey Baird. And Crylock will come. Krylak came all the way over and stood on the sideline. Like, almost heels on the sideline with Corey Baird just inside of him. And I think this is really interesting because Corey Baird likes to dribble inside, right? And use his right foot to get a shot off or get a cross off. So by putting Krylak over there, it, one, pulls that outside back, makes that outside back have to make a decision. And it also brings either a center midfielder over or it makes that center back then have to shift just that much uh, farther over in order to fill that gap where Krylak otherwise would probably be just to provide that support cover as a defender. And there was a couple of comp- combinations there where those two just tried to break down uh, the defense for Minnesota and nothing really came to light. But I, you start to see this relationship and how Krylak moving out of that space allows Baird to then dribble into it.
0: Jordan, I love that we can talk in detail about tactics, even when these games aren't particularly exciting, right? We had two draws, two very low scoring draws in a really strange, really strange game between SKC and and the Colorado Rapids. And we can still get into the details and hopefully provide some insight into fans of what they saw from their teams, even when it wasn't the most exciting game.
1: Yeah, we're trying, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, day 10 is in the books. We will be back again soon with another episode after day 11 of the MLS's back tournament.
1: Let's do it, Joe. Let's just keep on going. How about that?
0: We will. Listeners, thank you for (laughs) listening. Jordan, thanks for chatting with me.
1: Thanks, Joe.